Good morning. I've been asked to share the announcements, and there are quite a few. So um, I'm going to start with welcoming anybody who's new. And if you want to connect, you can scan right here. We'd love to, to get to know you. And um, so you'll see those little scan um, uh, uh, code, codes, the QR codes is what they're called, um, around. Um, I wanted to mention on Thursday, February 24th, we have call and response. And uh, it's a, a safe place to talk about uh, the Bible. And it's a conversation that goes on. And the groups uh, will be studying uh, Job, the book of Job, as part of our wisdom series. And so if you're interested, it's really, it's really a, a, a good place to uh, connect. Um, and just uh, RSVP on OceansideSanctuary.org slash calendar, and you'll get the Zoom link. And once again, that's Thursday, uh, February 24th at 6.30. Um, next, we have Rogue the Western, and this is a film about an African-American saloon girl in the 1870s, New Mexico, who plots to escape from her devious employer. And this film, uh, it, a significant portion was actually for, um, filmed here. Um, so that's, that's kind of a fun thing to see. And uh, it is an 18 minute short film and it will be playing at the Oceanside Film Festival on Friday, February 25th at 5.30. And it goes from 5.30 until seven. And it will be at the Sunshine Brooks Theater and we're organizing a group to go and we'll attend the talk afterwards. Um, for tickets, please visit OceansideSanctuary.org slash calendar. Next we have our Justice Works 2022 vision meeting, which will be Sunday, next Sunday, February 27th from 1.30 to 3. Our Justice Works team is committed to organizing for action on issues that matter to the poor, oppressed, and marginalized in our community um, as an expression of the gospel. After the success of our recent uh, Live Free Oceanside campaign involving the Oceanside Police Department, it's time to reestablish our, our goals. And so um, th at this meeting, we're going to review our past efforts, campaigns, and actions, and learn what other churches are doing and how we might uh, uh, fit in with the, what they're working on. Um, and we'll be deciding the next steps. So once again, um, RSVP to our mission meeting, which will be Sunday, February 27th at 1.30, and you RSVP again at oceansidesanctuary.org slash calendar. Um, also, just wanted to let you know that uh, we are a 501c3 nonprofit, and we rely on the gifts and donations of people just like you. Uh, if you'd like to... It's all right. It's long. It's long. So <laughs> um, if you'd like to support our mission, consider giving, giving a gift today at our web website, OceansideSanctuary.org slash give, uh, or you can scan scan that little CR code, QR code. Um, and there's also a box in the back if you want to give a donation here. And finally, 
We have uh, sent your tax giving records by email for 2021. And thank you so much for your generous giving. If you do not receive or did not receive an email, please uh, contact the church and they'll give you, send out an email or give you a, a paper copy, whatever you need. And also note that if you gave through one of our Facebook campaigns, Facebook will be sending you a, a confirmation on that separately. So thank you so much and enjoy the rest of the service. than announcements like everything else is easier than announcements including what I'm about to do uh, in teaching and I don't know what it is about announcements like you get up you have to convey all this information you have to make it seem like somewhat like you know interesting and keep people's attention and this is Leanne's first time doing it so uh, of course of course I made it harder by like creating feedback with my microphone so I apologize for that. So I'm just gonna take this, cause it's obviously not working right, and put it right there. And uh, I'll use the handheld. Well, hello, good morning. How you guys doing? Good, for those of you who don't know, I'm Jason Coker, I'm the pastor here, and we are excited to have you today. I'm gonna continue with our wisdom series. We have been digging into what wisdom is in the Hebrew Bible for about the past seven weeks now. We began in January with the book of Proverbs. We talked about how Proverbs represents conventional wisdom, kind of wisdom 101, that if you are looking to become a person who is wise and live into a life that is good and right and true, that Proverbs is sort of the basics. It's what you learn in order to get started. It's what you learn in order to have a kind of basic foundation of what it means to live a good and wise life. Now we're talking about the book of Job and we're digging into the book of Job. And what I've been telling you is that Job represents a pretty radical departure from Proverbs. It's an extraordinarily different perspective. In fact, for literally hundreds of years, uh, it has been the subject of theological debate how in the world the book of Job got into the Bible in the first place. Because Job fundamentally questions the basic worldview of Proverbs and the basic worldview of the Bible, that if you are a good person, then good things will happen to you, God will bless you, and if you're a bad person, then bad things will happen to you and God will curse you. Job is clearly an interrogation of that idea. And so we often just don't know what to do with it. In week one, I told you that Job teaches us that the complexity of life challenges that conventional wisdom. And I'll bet you've noticed that. I'll bet you've noticed that sometimes when you've tried very hard to do the right thing, you somehow did not receive a blessing or a reward as a result. And if you looked around, you noticed that an awful lot of people do very bad things and seem to profit from it. This is sort of the fundamental injustice of life. It means that life is more complicated than just doing good and receiving blessing or doing bad and being cursed. It's way more complicated than that. And so Job is fundamentally an introduction to not wisdom 101, but sort of wisdom 201 that we want, when we want to learn what it means to be truly wise, 
at a deeper level, we have to wrestle with the complexity of life. And then last week I told you that one of the things Job reveals is that conventional wisdom is limited by a kind of transactional self-interest. Because if life works the way Proverbs says, if life really can be boiled down to do good and be blessed, do bad and be cursed, and that invites us into a posture of life that is transactional, right? And so we bring that transactional relationship to all of our relationships. It invites us to essentially treat other human beings like they are instruments to be used for our own gain. And we eventually treat God like some sort of cosmic vending machine in the sky. We say all our prayers and engage in all of our worship and uh, attend church, perhaps, for no reason other than to get something in return. And so Job challenges this sort of self-interest at the heart of conventional wisdom. Last week, I told you that uh, Job's essential question is, if doing good, if being good, if telling the truth, if working hard, if being honest, if playing by the rules doesn't get me ahead, then what's the point? What is the point of life? What is the point of being a good and decent human being if it's not going to get me ahead? And last week I said, I wasn't going to answer that question for you. I invited you instead to dig into the book of Job to try to figure out where Job was taking us. So, spoiler alert, I won't be answering that question for you today either. If you want an answer to that question, you'll have to come back next week. And I'll give you my answer to that question. Today, I'm going to make things even more difficult. Today, I want to jump into uh, what is for Job maybe the hardest uh, portion of Job, what for the person Job is the hardest part of the book of Job, and that's in chapter 3. So we're going to jump into chapter 3 in just a second. I'm going to give you my uh, perspective on this and what I'm taking from this, and then as usual, just invite you to reflect on what you might be noticing in this book too. Before I do that, would you just pray with me for a moment as we approach these words together? God, we thank you for today, for this opportunity for us to gather. We thank you for how these ancient texts, these ancient poems and letters and, and accounts of an ancient people somehow managed to stretch us and inspire us and sometimes confuse and frustrate us, but always seem to open our hearts and minds to what you might be saying to us. And so we ask that you do the same thing today, that as we read through a few of these passages from Job, that you would open us to a new perspective, that you would do a fresh work in our hearts and draw us closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So we're going to begin in Job chapter 3. I want to point out to you a couple of passages in the book of Job that I think are very helpful for understanding the bigger picture. The first thing for you to know is last week we left off in Job chapter 2, which is sort of 
the framing story of the whole book of Job. Now, the majority of Job is one very long ancient epic poem. And it is, without a doubt, one of the most remarkable poems in the ancient world. Job tells a story, not just in terms of the narrative, but the actual structure of this poem tells its own story. We're not going to get into that today. If you're interested in that sort of thing, if you want to know how the structure of this epic poem tells its own story, then I'd invite you to come on Thursday night on Zoom to call and response. That's our deeper Bible study. We're going to get into some of that nerdy stuff related to how the poetry in Job works. For now, it's enough for me to just point out to you that that epic poem begins in chapter 3. And chapter 3 begins with Job cursing the day he was born. Chapter 3, verse 1 says, after, after this, after that sort of opening narrative where we see, you know, God and the devil engaged in this conversation in the heavens, it says, after this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. Job said, let the day perish in which I was born and the night that said a man child is conceived. Let that day be darkness. May God above not seek it or light shine on it. These are the opening words of this poem at the beginning of chapter three and is sometimes called Job's poem of death or Job's death wish. Because Job is in a place where his suffering is so great that the only thing that he can imagine relieving himself of this suffering is death itself. In verse 16, 17, 18, and 19, I think he captures this desire to die with incredible poetic power. Verse 16 says, Or why was I not buried like a stillborn child, like an infant that never sees the light? There the wicked cease from troubling. Now the there that he's referring to is the grave. Job says, why was I not born like a stillborn child who was then placed into the grave? For there in the grave, the wicked cease from troubling. And there the weary are at rest. There the prisoners are at ease together and they do not hear the voice of of the taskmaster. The small and the great are there, and the slaves are free from their masters. Job's suffering is so great, it's so intense, it's so painful, that he genuinely wishes for death. And this is, I think, one of the most important lessons for us to understand what advanced wisdom, what deep wisdom involves, and that is that deeper wisdom, wisdom that goes beyond conventional wisdom, like the wisdom of the Proverbs, is wisdom that centers the suffering. So wisdom, true wisdom, deeper wisdom, advanced wisdom, centers those who are suffering. Conventional wisdom, on the other hand, like the wisdom of Proverbs, centers those who are successful. And we see this in the Proverbs all the time. Those who are prosperous, those who have succeeded, those who are powerful are the ones who are given the voice in Proverbs. They're the people that we are encouraged to listen to. And there's good reason for that. Because if you are successful, if you are powerful, if you are wealthy, then you probably have extraordinarily good advice to give. 
And that is the, that is the voice of Proverbs. The difficulty with centering those who are powerful is that it creates blind spots in us towards those who are weak. And so it's extraordinarily important for us to learn to center the perspective, the experiences of those who suffer, those who are in pain. It's conventional wisdom that says to a woman who is sexually assaulted, maybe you shouldn't have worn what you wore. It's conventional wisdom that says to people of color, maybe you should do your hair differently. It's conventional wisdom that says to people who are not included at the center of power that they have to speak a different language, let go of their culture, let go of their grievances, and just play by the rules. Because the rules are made by those who are in power. And when those rules no longer work, to achieve what is good and right and true in people's lives, it produces suffering. One of the beauties of the book of Job is that it's a story of somebody who was successful, who was powerful, who was at the center of culture. And because of the horrible things that happened to him, he becomes part of those who are powerless. He becomes part of those who are weak. And so by seeing somebody lose that position of power and privilege, we get to see that deeper wisdom, advanced wisdom, pushes beyond the boundaries of the normal conventional rules of our society. And so Job does this very uncomfortably. Job takes the person who is suffering, the person who is struggling, the person who is in pain, despite the fact that he played by all the rules, and it places his concerns at the center of this dialogue. And this is the dialogue that happens in the book of Job. Throughout this book, what we have is a poem that is essentially a back and forth dialogue between Job and his friends. Job's friends Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar show up in the midst of his suffering to try to figure out what in the world went wrong. And this is the conversation they have. Eliphaz tells Job in chapters 4 through 5 that Job has sinned, and he must therefore seek correction from God. Job responds and says, I wish God would correct me, but I haven't done anything wrong. I would rather God correct me so I knew what I did wrong and could be done with this suffering. Bildad responds, only the guilty suffer, Job, so you must be guilty. You need to repent. Job says, if innocence is not enough to keep us from suffering, then what is the point? Chapter 10, Job says, did God make me for this purpose? Did God make me for the purpose of tormenting me? In chapter 11, Zophar, his friend, says, it's a sin to even speak like that. How dare you question God? In chapters 12 through 14, Job says, am I a fool for obeying God? Chapter 15, Eliphaz says, shut up, Job. To even question God is a sin. 
In chapter 16 and 17, Job says something that I think is extraordinarily instructive. He says to his friends, none of what any of you are saying is new. And he's right. This dialogue, this back and forth continues on and on. Job asserts his innocence and his friends accuse him that he must be guilty because people only suffer if they are guilty. And this is where I think we see the second thing that Job, the book of Job, shares with us about deep wisdom, and that is this. Deep wisdom, advanced wisdom, wisdom interrogates everything. It interrogates everything. Job is relentlessly pursuing the truth. He wants to know why he's suffering, why he's struggling, why it is that despite the fact that he has done everything he's supposed to do, God is punishing him apparently, and so he is pursuing this truth at all costs. Job is relentless in his commitment of what is true. In fact, he's even willing to interrogate God. Job chapter 13, verses 7 through 10, Job says this in response to his friends. He says, will you speak falsely for God and speak deceitfully for him? Will you show partiality toward him? Will you plead the case for God? Verse 10, he will surely rebuke you in secret if you show partiality. This is a fascinating passage because the entire concept of justice in the Hebrew Bible is that you don't show partiality to anybody when you're judging between two parties. Job is essentially God being put on trial. And Job says to his friends, why are you being unjustly partial to God? God himself will punish you for being impartial in God's favor. Job is willing to question the entire program of religion. Job is questioning everything, including God himself. And this is what we must do in order to push past the conventional wisdom of Proverbs. We must be willing to interrogate everything. At some point in our lives, the simple beliefs that we were taught, the simple concepts of the world that we take with us into our lives begin to fail us. Life rises up and we discover that our beliefs no longer match the reality that we are faced with. And when that happens, we have a choice. We can either do what Job's friends do and fall back on the conventional wisdom that gives us simplistic answers to complex questions, or we can interrogate those answers. We can try to push for the truth that is deeper then the simple answer that if I am suffering, it must be because I did something wrong. The third thing that this shows us is that this pursuit of truth, this relentless desire to find out what is really true, is done in a dialogue. 
This entire book is a dialogue, a big, long, poetic dialogue between Job and his three friends. This is how they pursue truth. And this marks a break from Proverbs, because Proverbs is not a dialogue. Proverbs is more of a monologue. In Proverbs, we have the voice of those who are wise speaking to us about how we should live our lives and what rules we should follow and how if we do, then we will be blessed and everything will be all right. But in Job, we have a much more explicit dialogue of disagreement. Job is arguing with his three friends who insist that the old way of seeing life, the old way of living life must be true, that Job must be guilty. And they argue through it. This is essentially the nature of our faith. Job shows us how we live our faith. We enter into a dialogue with each other about who God is and what God wants and how we live in the midst of that. And in that dialogue, more often than not, we disagree. This is very much what it looks like to live a life that's faithful. It's not just to put forth easy answers and simple ideas that allow us to take home platitudes that don't really solve any problems. Grown-ups don't tolerate easy answers. The deeper wisdom of Job is an invitation for us to grow up past the simple, easy answers of our childhood and to instead engage in the complicated reality that life does not always seem fair, and God does not always seem to reward those who are good with blessing and those who are wicked with curses. Job itself is a dialogue that wrestles with that complexity, and we learn from that when we read it that way. Moreover, not only do we learn from it when we read the Bible as a kind of dialogue between different perspectives, but we also engage in that same dialogue with our lives. When we seek to live this out, we are contributing to this dialogue that is relentlessly committed to discovering the truth. What makes all of this hard is that this is extraordinarily threatening to people who are clinging to a more simplistic outlook on life and faith and God. And so people will condemn you for doing it, just like Job's friends do. Job presses in. Why am I suffering? I've done nothing wrong. This isn't fair. This isn't right. And Job's friends say, shut up. It's not even okay for you to talk like that. To think such things is a sin. To speak them is even worse. It's very common that when you have reached the end 
of the simplistic answers that your childhood faith has given you, for you to rise up and speak against them and ask questions and interrogate those answers and begin to offer different ideas. It's very common for people around you to sound just like Job's friends and say, shut up. It's not okay to ask those questions. It's not okay to speak like that. But people who are committed to finding the truth in a world that's full of suffering, keep asking, keep interrogating, and keep pressing into God for better answers. That's where Job takes us. It's really uncomfortable. It takes a lot of courage to pursue a life of faith like Job did. Job is not going to get away by the end of this story. He's not going to walk away from this unscathed. I don't just mean losing his kids or losing his riches, losing his property, losing his, you know, his status. Job's, Job's own ideas of God and faith and righteousness are going to be transformed by the time we get to the end of this book. But there is no getting to that end. There is no achieving that transformation without asking these difficult questions and wrestling with the utter failure of conventional wisdom to really give us good, satisfactory answers. And so again, I'm not going to resolve this for us today. Instead, I'm going to invite you to wrestle, just like Job, with these questions. How is it that you feel that God has failed to answer questions of goodness and righteousness and justice? Who do you know in your life? who has suffered unjustly. And how do you reconcile that with the idea that there's a good and loving God who wants to relate to us and who wants to, us to live faithfully? Again, I have my thoughts on the answer to those questions. But I want us all to wrestle with them because it's in wrestling with them that we come to a wisdom that's beyond just the transactional self-interest of a simple religious uh, idea of a God in the sky who's like a vending machine. We give that God our prayers. We give that God our worship. We give that God our obedience. We give that God mental assent to certain doctrines and then out of the little chute come our religious goods and services that make us feel better. This is all way more complicated than that. And I'm not interested in worshiping that kind of God because it really doesn't work. That's sort of the bottom line. So I want to invite us to reflect on those questions as we continue our worship. I want to invite Joey and the band to come back up. And as they do, I want to ask you, what is it about this kind of wisdom that presses beyond simple answers, 
that you find uncomfortable. Are you uncomfortable? Why? Why are you uncomfortable? It's okay for you to think about this differently than I do. It's okay for you to come to different conclusions than I do. But why does even asking the question make you uncomfortable? Maybe there's something to learn there. And I want to encourage us to lean into that. Amen. Are you guys ready? All right. God, we thank you so much. And as we continue to lean into our worship today, I want to ask that you would help us to be people of courage, that like Job, we would learn to raise our voice when we don't understand, that we would have the courage to interrogate our beliefs, that we would have the courage to bring our questions boldly to you, and that you would, like Job, draw us closer to an understanding of the truth because we're willing to wrestle with it. I ask that you would help us to gain some insight into what is keeping us from fully leaning into the uncomfortable questions that we have been taught to deny and to ignore. Mostly, God, I want to pray that you would give us the courage to center the questions and the frustration and even the anger of those who are suffering and have been oppressed by conventional wisdom that offers easy platitudes, but no justice. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.